speak to us today because I do believe that um, it is possible for us to assemble, for us to gather, for us to be here, amen, and yet feel as if for some reason we are disassociated, we are really not apart, and perhaps we are unique. Unique in the way that, that there's no one else like me, or may I say that in some ways we may feel like an outcast or someone that just doesn't fit in or belong. And perhaps no one has shunned you or no one has turned you away at the door, no one turned their back on you this morning, but yet in your spirit you just feel as if for some reason you don't fit in. There are words that have been whispered in your mind. There are things that have been told into your spirit. There are voices that have told you already in this service, this is not for you. This is not where you belong. And this is not, uh, this is not a family for you. This is not a church for you. And maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. And maybe it's doubt. For these things will torment. They will frustrate. They will come against us. They will let us know that no matter where you go, you will never find a place where you belong. You will never measure up. You will never be anything more than what you are. Maybe your past is shouting at you today that you are an abject failure, that that everybody is keenly aware of every mistake that you have ever made. When they look at you or don't, when people smile or when they pass you by without even greeting, it is a testament to the fact that you are rejected and that no one really cares about you. God has turned His back, for your prayers certainly aren't heard. And could God use someone like you that has fallen and failed time and time and time again? Perhaps you feel as if you are a disappointment. You have failed to accomplish the goals that you had set out for. You have failed to achieve heights that you once dreamt for. And so no longer are you living in the realm of aspiration, but today you are just simply existing, seeking to get by, just hoping to make it another day. You have no longer, you no longer do you dare to dream. No longer do you feel like there are any aspirations within you, but you just want to make it through another day. Let me hide among the stuff. Don't let anybody really see that I'm here because I've embarrassed myself, I've embarrassed my family, and I've embarrassed all that is about me. There are people in this house today that feel the way that I've described, pummeled down, pushed down, broken down, defeated, and discouraged. But I've come to tell you that everything that I've described up until this point is nothing but a lie from hell. Amen. When we get into the series on Genesis that will begin shortly, reality is you understand that the first encounter that man had with Satan, it was one of deception. It was the twisting of truth. It was the perverting of God's Word. It was the turning of things around. And he didn't uh, entirely lie, but he mixed truth with deception to the point that it would be believable. Amen. And he is counting on your guilt. He is counting on your shame. He is counting on your fear. Mingle 
filled with the voices that are not true to cause you to embrace and believe a lie. For if we do, we will be damned. And so it is the purpose of this preacher today to come to this pulpit to preach to you. For it is the Word of God that is the discerner of the soul and spirit. It is the Word of God that is sharper than a two-edged sword. That is able greater than any surgeon's scalpel to come in and to separate you from the deceptions that you cannot see. To separate you from the lies that you do not understand. And to remind you that you are greater in the eyes of God than you are in the eyes of your own self. It does not matter who we are within ourselves or in the eyes of others, the only thing that matters is how does God see us? How does God see us? How does God look at us today? And yet we tremble at the thought of that because the Bible lets us know that He is the discerner of hearts. And so there is nothing that we have ever done that is hidden from Him. He sees us even in the secret places. He not only knows what we do and what we say, but He knows the motive behind it, the why we did what we did and why we said what we said. And so surely we as others of old, we hide ourselves in shaking and quaking in fear because if anybody knows who we really are. That is the fear under which many in this house are living right now. If you knew who I really was. I'm not talking about you and your Sunday best. I'm not talking about you and how you approach this world on a daily basis and all your preparedness. But I'm talking about the one that struggles at night to reconcile who you are with what you've always wanted to be. And I say to you today, man, that when we consider the God who is eternal, who knows all, is above all sees and hears all then we shake and we quake at the consideration that is he from whom we hide ourselves. but may I tell you today amen that there is no hiding from God I bring to you a people of the Old Testament a people uh, who were flawed a people who were broken a people who transgressed a people of whom even God would become angry the Lord himself would say in Numbers 4 1411, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Then we hear God say, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague then we'll make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. He would go on to quantify their provocation. In another passage, he would tell them that these ten times have you uh, disobeyed my word. The Hebrew text of this just simply says that it was many times. Whereas the New Living Translation says again and again and again, we are talking about a people that had incredibly highs, but people who also knew dismal lows. They could dance in the presence of a God that no other nation worshipped, yet they could fall right back into the temptation and cast themselves at the idols of Baals and other worship, amen, and bring the disappointment and even anger of God over and over and over again it says. Over and over they were disappointing. Over and over they were prone to failure. 
over and over until God had come to a point where he says, I'll start over with you, Moses. I'll completely eradicate these people and I'll start a new nation with you. And yet it would be a preacher in their day as it is with us in this house today that says, but there is something about these people and your word, amen. And so the Bible tells us that after many wilderness wanderings in which a generation would be buried, amen, that they are finally pointed to a place or a land of promise on their way to Canaan. It's in this time when they are coming into a land that had been promised to them generations and even centuries before that the kings of the land would become incredibly frightened, seeing the devastation that they left in their path as God, yet despite their disappointments and failings, would use them instrumentally in overcoming their enemies and adversaries. We find that it was the kingdom of Moab that would literally shake and quake in fear of what would come upon them because of these people who lived in this tumultuous behavior of good and evil. And so it was that the king of Moab brought together a, a, a prophet and he would ask of him, would you curse these people that are coming into our land? They are like the sea. They have spread themselves over the sand and the soil of our cities and we will be overwhelmed with them. We understand the story has quite an interesting uh, circuitous pathway in which it goes. But eventually, he would speak over the people three times would he try to curse them. Yet the Bible would tell us that that which God had blessed uh, would remain blessed and it could not be cursed until finally he would say that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Amen, amen, amen. May I say to somebody in this house today, that has lived in the faltering feelings that somehow the circumstances of your life are the barometer of God's favor upon you. May I tell you that you cannot fail enough to step outside of the ability of God to bless. And neither, amen, will the righteous escape the things that are just simply a part of life. So it is time for the people of God to stop living in a tumultuous state that is up and down dependent upon the circumstances of the moment of our life. In other words, let me just put it where the rubber meets the road. When your car doesn't start, it doesn't mean God's mad at you. Amen. When something breaks down, it doesn't mean that you have somehow stepped outside of the favor of God. When you have an illness that you pray and you're not 
not immediately healed, it doesn't mean that God has you in a place where He is frustrated, weary, and done with you, and He will not hear your prayers. Too many times we depend upon our feelings, and we depend upon our circumstances, and we depend upon our situations as indicators of the favor of God. You can be blessed and yet be going through hell on earth. You can be blessed and yet suffering the greatest sorrows of your life. So don't allow your circumstances today. Don't allow the pain that you're enduring dictate to you your standing in the presence of God. May I tell you that the most afflicted among us were standing right in the place where God wanted them. That the greatest afflicted of all time were in the place of God's favor and blessing. And so it is, my friend, that I'm telling somebody to hold on, hang on, and get ready. Because there is a time and a season to all things. There's going to be time when you're hurt and you need healing. But there's coming a time when you're going to feel better. And you're going to rise up and rise out of that place. Uh, There are people in this house that are financially struggling. There are those who are dealing with frustrations. But this is not indicative of how God feels about you, my friend. And so it's time for we to, us to lift our head up and get our mind up above what we feel and what's going on and how things seem in our life and realize uh, that He is constant. Amen. He is faithful. That He fails not. Uh, that He wavers not. Uh, and my life may be one that is filled with ups and downs. Circumstances come and go, rise and fall. And even myself may be prone to failures and successes. But my God is faithful in His love, in His affection, in His adoration, in His blessing, and in His favor. And so the first thing I want to do is come against the spirit of contrariness that is trying to come into your mind and make you feel just because you failed or because you haven't always got things right that God is punishing you with sickness, that God is punishing you with pain, that God is punishing you with frustration. It is a lie from hell and it is a spirit of the devil that is trying to make you feel that he is angry at you. He is frustrated at you and that he is trying to knock you down and put you in your place. Rather, my friend, I've come to tell you that my God is one who blesses who he will bless. He strengthens who he will strengthen. He keeps who he will keep. We are not able to earn one iota of God's blessing. We cannot earn God's favor. We cannot live good enough. We cannot live holy enough. We cannot live righteous enough. We cannot sin, live sinless enough to earn one touch from God. Every good thing that I've ever got from God, it's because of mercy. Any good thing that I've ever got from God, it's because grace. It's because of His favor and not because of what I've done or not done. Thank God for the blood. We sing about it today. And this God 
who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This God who is faithful and consistent and constant. In Numbers 23 and 21, when the people of God are passing through the valleys below this prophet who is seeking to curse them, but all he can do is bless them. He turns to this carnal king and he explains. And he speaks of God when he says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness or mischievousness or ill intent in all of Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among him. I like how it's paraphrased in the message. And he says, I was brought here to bless, and now he is blessed. How can I change that? Speaking of God, he has no bone to pick with Jacob. He sees nothing wrong with Israel. God is with them, and they're with him, shouting praises unto the king. Now I ask you, how do we explain this disparity between the God who said they have provoked me many, 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 many times. If you'll stand out of the way, Moses, I'll eradicate them all. I'll eliminate every one of them. And I'll start over with you. And yet it is this same flawed people that are walking before the face of God when a God that cannot lie (laughs) when a God that cannot lie speaks through the mouthpiece of the prophet and he said I don't see anything wrong with them I don't behold any iniquity in them I have examined them I have searched them I have looked them up down and inside and out I don't find any flaw within them how can a God that is bound to his truth how can a God that cannot lie look at a people who have been struggling in sin and in struggles of their flesh yet say that they are without blemish and without flaw I think the scripture speaks for itself and answers our question for you see the Bible goes on to say in Numbers 24 and 17 and I see him this is the same God that said I behold no iniquity in Jacob and I see no perversenesses in Israel he said but I see him but not now oh dear Lord in heaven I wish somebody would realize that it's not over yet I may be a failure I may have been unfaithful I may have disappointed and I may be everything that the devil's whispered that I am but it's not over yet for when God has beheld me and when God has stayed the judgment of my life he is looking at the accuser and he says but not yet he says I see him but not yet I shall behold him but not nigh for there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel he said all you can see is the wrong they did today and yesterday but I'm not looking at them 
now. I'm looking at what's going to come out of them. If I'll let them live another day, if I'll give them another week, if they'll keep putting one foot in front of the other, if they'll come to one more service, if they'll pray one more time, if they'll get on their face again, it's not always going to be like it is. But there's coming a day. There's something coming out of them. I see the end thereof. You see what they are. You see where they've been. You see what they've done. You see what they said. But he said, I, I see the end. I know the plans that I have to bless them, prosper them, make them new. I see what's coming that nobody else can. Somebody say it's not over. Somebody say it's not over. Somebody tell that voice that's whispering your has been, but it's not over. Somebody tell that voice that says you failed and you're never going to achieve your potential, but it's not over. Some of us ain't the youngest we've ever been. The enemy has told us we're out of time. Our life has been lived. We've just simply not achieved. But I tell you, it's not over. I see him, but not now. Shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel. We're talking to people who were living a life of struggle, wandering through the wilderness, who had the scars of Egypt's whips upon their backs, and yet the Lord was not seeing them as they were, but He was looking at a prince that would come from them. Amen. The star of Jacob, the scepter of Israel, Symbolically across the cultures of that day, stars always symbolized royalty. This impoverished nation, this people that had traversed the countryside, had the weathered evidence of it all over their life, had not known what it was to occupy their own land, had for centuries built another person's kingdom, Yet the Bible says, I see them as royalty. And he said, I see a scepter in the hand. If the star is the symbol of royalty, scepter is the symbol of royal power. Royal power. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder why the adversary wanted them cursed and defeated? Amen. Because if they ever get where they're going... If they ever become what they could, amen, they're not only going to be exalted like royalty, but they are going to exercise 
power in the realm of kingdom authority. <laughs> I wish you could see today that your adversary is not against you. Amen. You are peons and pawns in the hand of the prince of this world. Amen. He could care less about your welfare or well-being. The only thing that he is worried about is that you ever come to the place of your potential. Amen. And exercise the power that has been invested in you. Don't you know the Bible says that you shall receive power after that that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. If you ever become Spirit-filled, and not just filled with the Spirit, but if you ever learn to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, if you ever learn to live by faith and not by sight, if you ever become aware of who you are, for the Bible says we are redeemed unto our Father as kings and priests. Oh Jesus, help me right now because the prince of this world is terrified that the kings are ever going to figure out who they are. Oh, help me now because he's kept us in a pauper mentality and we look up to him as paupers to a prince but we do not realize that our father, when he redeemed us, he didn't just say our soul from eternity, but he saved ourself, amen, to a purpose in this life. Oh my God, you're not hearing me, because when God put that flesh upon a cross and allowed the blood to drain from that body, and he redeemed you and I unto himself, he didn't just save us from a devil's hell, but he saved us to a life, amen, from unintentionality to one of purpose and when the church wakes up and realizes we're not just saved from hell but we are called to rule and reign in this earth not in earthly kingdoms but in the kingdom of God that is established in this place we will rise up we will struggle off the shrouds of shame and sorrow and we will become everything that he sees now I ask you, when the Lord said about these people walking before Him, when He was speaking prophetically, was He talking about the royalty or the empires that would come from their literal loins? I don't believe so. We see the first king of Israel, the statuesque Saul, stood head and shoulders above all men. The one who uh, was no doubt the, the most uh, 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 capable and able in, by fleshly means. Yet it would be he who would hide in his tent and it would be he who would shirk from duty. And it would be he who would be more fearful of the will of the people than to be obedient from God. And so while he had incredible strengths. He also had incredible flaws. Would it be mighty David who would wander for decades hiding from Saul and keeping from killing his king, finally achieving the throne that God had promised him and becoming the king that would lead Israel into a place of, of, of blessing and richness and strength? Would it be mighty David who would lead a ragtag group and cause them to defeat little 
literal armies? Would it be David who the Bible would say that his heart was attuned to God? Would it be David who would desire to build the Lord a house and who with joy would bring the glory of God back to Israel? No, because David also had a Bathsheba and he had many under other blunders in his life. And even though he had a good desire, God would say, you can't build me a house because your hands are too bloody. But he would give him a son named Solomon to do the job. Would it be Solomon who is numbered as the wisest of all kings? In fact, the wisest of all among humanity. Would it be the supreme wisdom that would cause him to be the one of whom it would be said, I see one that will come out of them? Would it be he the one that could be pointed to and say, this is that star and this is that scepter? For we see that Solomon turned away from God and led his people into idolatry. Generations later, we would go through a myriad of kings, good and bad, but there would come one named Hezekiah that would be better than even David himself. Could it be this one that seems to have it all? He has wisdom. He has power. He has might. He has grace. Would it be this one? But yet we would see that he would have his own downfalls. So if it was not these men and these others who were not perfect, rather they knew iniquity and perverseness, then who would it be that he could look through and say, but I see one that has no iniquity, and I see one that has no no shame. For the Bible tells us in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Let me tell you who. Amen. Is the final and forever king of all of Israel. It's no wonder that Matthew would open with the genie genealogies of Jesus seeing he is the son of Abraham and the son of David why? because this is the heir this is the one who will sit upon the throne now and forever of whom it would be said I find no fault in him and so what the Lord was saying is though there is flaws and failures in the people that walk before me if I should eradicate them prematurely, then there will be no Jesus born of a virgin wrapped in swaddling clothes who will come that he should take away the sins of the people. Oh my Lord in heaven, without letting Jacob walk through the wilderness, without this thing that would happen throughout the days of time, there would not be the one of whom it would be said there has never been one that has spake like this one neither would there be that body suspended between heaven and earth of which he would say father to you I give my spirit and he would pay the price 
for all mankind. And as Peter would notate, not with precious things which is silver and gold, but with the sinless, precious blood of Jesus. And so it was not to a point of which they would finally achieve their perfection in their lifestyle. There would never be one among them that would live sinless, but the sinless one would live in all of us. And so it was to that point that he was looking that there's coming a day when every sinner has the hope that they can live above sin, that they can live above temptation, that they can live above their aspirations, that they can live above shame, that they can live above condemnation, not because of their power, not because of their ability, but because there is a sinless one of whom was said, I who walk with you will dwell in you. And the Bible tells me that we shall be like him, changed as only he can make us. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Wherefore, He is able. He is able. Somebody tell yourself, I know I'm not able. Might as well tell that voice that's lying to you. Might as well tell that voice that's talking to you. You telling me I can't? I know I can't. Not in myself. But He who is in me. You say, I'm not good enough. Of course I'm not. But He who is in me. Wherefore, He is able to save them to the uttermost. Come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, who had a baptism Wednesday night, at other baptisms lately, what is that? Peter said, repent of your sins. Turn from your sinful way. Turn away from your wrong and turn toward God. That's what repentance is. If you've not repented, you can do that. In fact, I would say if you're here today, it's because you're in a place of repentance. Turning away from your old ways. Turning toward a new way in God. And once you've repented, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Not titles. Titles ain't going to save you. I know Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But you'll never find it recorded anywhere in the Gospels or, or the, the book of Acts, rather, that the, the children of God repeated what the Lord said, but they obeyed what He said. In every instance, amen, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. For the, Jesus said, when you have seen the Father, you have seen me. And He says, who... And the Holy Ghost will come in my name. And so it's not something that we are merely playing semantics with. But if you want the power, the power's in the name. You want deliverance? It's in the name. You want healing? you got to have the name. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost. 
and you shall receive. Not may receive, you could receive, you might receive, but you shall receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible lets us know throughout the New Testament that they who received the Holy Ghost did so with the evidence of speaking in another language. As the Spirit of God gave them utterance to the point that others thought they were drunken and did not understand their behavior. But this Holy Spirit that comes upon us and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, it's the same thing. Different wordage, but it's the same thing. And this Holy Ghost that comes upon us is accompanied with the power that is promised. So we stand all over this house and the music comes to help. <clears throat> there are people in this house. I wish I had time to preach. Let me tell you something real quick. There's a few things that hinder us. We let our situations and our circumstance speak for us. The man of whom it was said was possessed by a thousand devils. When Jesus asked him what his name was, he said, We are legion, for we are many. It's time for some of us to stop letting our situations speak for us. That was the spirits within him speaking, not the man. And we can shake our head and say, oh, that's too bad. But there's some of us in this house, we're letting sickness speak for us. We're letting our sinful past speak for us. Who are you? I'm a thief. Who are you? I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. Because that's what that voice has been whispering in your head all along. Making you feel like you'll never be more than what you've already been. But the Bible says we are new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away and behold, all things are become new. It's time for us to stop letting our circumstances speak for us. That may be who I was, but it's not who I am any longer. I'm a born-again child of God, liberated by the power of the blood. I'm living victoriously despite my, my, my being prone to failure, yet He who lives in me is overcoming daily. We let our circumstances, our situations. Some of us have embraced the spirit of poverty because we have, we have assumed because it has been so long, it will always be. You need to hear that right now. Just because your marriage has been afflicted for years now doesn't mean it always will be. Just because your relationships have been broken for a long time doesn't mean it will always be. Just because you have been wounded even from youth doesn't mean you're always going to be suffering the things that you are stricken with in your spirit. And it's time for us to stop letting our circumstances speak for us. You say, but if only I, if only, if only what? If only I was raised in a different household. If only the situations of my childhood were different. If only my familial situations. If only I was born into a family like this or that. If only I'd have been raised in church. If only I'd have been raised in a godly home with praying parents. If only. If only. And we disqualify us, ourselves, in ways that God never has. Because I'm going to tell you, I can search the Scriptures. You're never going to find a perfect person. And anyone who has ever been mightily used of God has been done so despite their flaws. 
I want to close with this, this little illustration. Same people of whom we're talking about, Israel, coming into the land of promise. Before there was Israel, there was Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob, who became Israel. Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. It was in Egypt that Pharaoh told Joseph, you're going to be over my house and I've set you over all the land. And according to your word, Joseph, shall all the people be ruled. Joseph was given this authority over the preeminent power of the world at that time. And yet I'm going to tell you right now, he was not the obvious candidate for that job. Many of you have interviewed for jobs and they've looked into background checks or otherwise and they've looked into things and scrutinized, is this person not only capable of doing the right job, but are they the right candidate for our company? Do they, do, do they live what we are trying to be as an enterprise? And you will find if you look into it that Joseph's dysfunctional family and his upbringing would disqualify him from the most menial jobs, let alone the trust of a kingdom. Did you, did you hear that? We're talking about someone directly in the line of the patriarchs. And yet his past would disqualify him for most jobs in this day and age, let alone something so sensitive as governor of all the land. Let's just look at his family. His maternal grandfather is a lion cheat. His paternal grandparents, though they're prominent, part of the patriarchy, they were divided in their household. They had a very divided and very contemptuous relationship using deception and favoritism as tools against one another. His own father was a known liar. His father had committed identity theft. His father had two wives and two mistresses. His father was a passive parent, allowing much of the conflict in their home. His father exhibited such favoritism among the wives and the children as to constantly engender strife and rage among them. Can I say he was really the good one of the bunch? For you see, Joseph's own mother was a thief. She would steal from her own family, she created division. Wherever she was at, Joseph's uncle was an ungodly heathen. He was a bitter and vindictive man. He hated his brother, Joseph's dad, so bad that they couldn't get together as a family without the threat of violence. In other words, Joseph had three stepmoms. One stepsister who was violently molested and raped. Ten stepbrothers who were murderers. A baby brother and all living under the same house at the same time until his mom died while he was young. Leaving him alone in this hostile environment. That's lifelong issues in the making. And if that's not enough in itself, Joseph was abducted. He was threatened with death. He became a slave. He was falsely but nonetheless accused of sexual misconduct. And he became a prison convict. And one might say, while he's rotting away in prison, forgotten by anyone who could have spoken well of him, his family thinks him dead. 
And yet this is the one that would be plucked out of prison and brought to prominence and told, I give you the keys of the entire kingdom. I hear those words again when Jesus looks to Peter, the same apostle that he would call Satan. And he said, upon this rock I build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And to this motley group of broken people, he says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Not of palaces and houses of opulence, but he gave them the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I want you to understand that we are they. We have the same keys given to us despite our propensity to failure and our proneness to fault. And it is the adversary of your soul that is seeking to discredit you, disqualify you, and put you down. But I'm inviting you. I'm wishing somebody would rise up out of your place where you're at today.